episode 64 and I get to sit with Alicia Pasquale today. So just so other people can get to know you a little bit, could you throw down an introduction for yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm Alicia Pasquale. I uh, am an English teacher at Markham District High School with the York Region District School Board. Uh, in September I'll actually be starting a new role as the assistant head for the English department at my school. And um, I'm just excited to have an opportunity to sit down and chat with you. I do apologize that it's taken some time. When you first reached out about uh, sitting down like this in particular, I said I needed a little bit more time because we were still at the beginning and the building stages of our project. And I needed to be in deeper with it to be able to really speak to it and to be able to reflect on it and what I thought or hoped would be a meaningful way. So thanks for being patient with me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a problem at all. I have colleagues that do podcasts and they're, they're on the weekly. They're on the weekly and there's ways to get to the conversations that fast. Uh, I had a, I had one person I spoke to, her name's Jen Apgar and she's, she's out of Guelph and she's a, I think the equivalent would be like, like a tech coach a tech coach for their school board and she I ended up having to meet with her twice mm-hmm. because in the front end of the conversation she flipped and she said so why are you doing podcasting right and I didn't have that on you know you have your the question kind of like sketch note in front of you there like, like that wasn't on my plan mm-hmm. and it gave me that pause I was like why why am I doing this and it's funny to have a conversation like I had had the conversation a little bit with myself but I'd never pushed it outside my own head mm-hmm. it was very much just a professional pursuit how do I understand more about school in a wider context how far can I go like and I've you know I managed to have a conversation with uh, another teacher in Australia and when you're having professional discussions that far away I don't know it's I had a sudden sense of distance and so coming back to like across the table live kind of conversations I'm hoping that um, moving forward with with the podcast, this is the new format. To be able to sit down, coffee shop, Starbucks, no sponsorship there, I'm not looking for any money. Yeah, motorcycles in the background. But yeah. this, you know, I mentioned this, this becomes part of the tone of the conversation and it humanizes the digital. So um, how about this? Just on the front end, what, uh, what's your origin story for teaching? So you coming into education, how did you notice that you had a, a teacher side? I think that there's something really special about teachers. I think that for a lot of teachers, um, they're born that way. Okay. And uh, I mean, I guess we can't say that's true for everybody and everything, but for, for myself anyway, that's the case. And I, I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I remember being six years old and lining up all of my stuffed animals and teaching to them and reading them stories and honestly it just I can't imagine anything else that I would want to be doing and I don't think I ever imagined anything else I wanted to be doing and I think I'm really fortunate because for me I know that a large part of that had to do with the educators that I came into contact with when I was in school and so I just they love their jobs and they seem to do it so well and I thought this is what I want to do too I had someone else 
I had someone else mention, they, they told a story on one of the episodes where, and this was related to them after the fact, mm-hmm. so they don't have a memory of this, but in much the same origin story, they were told that, that when they were younger, they, they lined up their their stuffies, their stuffed animals, mm-hmm. and they would just yell at them. <laughs> and, and But the story goes on, and then that's where one parent turned to the other parent and said, he's going to be a teacher. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's a, that's that's the story that just brought to mind the, the line. And it's funny because it also sparks up, I, you know, I have that, I can't tell you how many pictures I have of my kids with their toys lined up, and it might be a tea party, um, a, a games night, but they have them all set up, and I, I have several of these photos of, you know, in different contexts of my children kind of standing there, I guess I could see this standing, commanding the class in front of the class. Um, I will say my daughter is the one that's quicker to sort of say, no, we're going to do it like this. Uh-huh. So Be careful, because I've heard the statistics for children of teachers becoming teachers are very high. So <laughs> It's funny you should say that, because there was no plan for me to ever be a teacher. Right. I was very much the school was a necessary, kind of a necessary distraction to what I considered real work, which was working in restaurants. I mentioned, you know, on our on-ramp, just that idea that I got a job because my parents wouldn't buy me the stuff I wanted. And then I stuck with the job working in restaurants because the money was decent and there was a lot of work there. So there was no plan for me to ever, ever become a teacher. And I would even argue some of the behaviors that I threw down in high school. It's funny, the behaviors that I threw down in high school completely informed me in being a teacher right now. Me too. But yeah, but if you were to ever sort of, no one, no one would have ever said as I was kicking a desk across the floor or, you know, riding the wheelie chairs down the hall out of class having races, like, hey, there's teacher material. (laughs) Nothing like that. But But, I think that's what makes some teachers phenomenal teachers, right? Well, I think, I think, let's, let's put in that space of, you you, got to bring your whole self to it. Right. Because I will tell you, hands down, me now telling stories, like I have a lot of a lot of connectivity with students now because I'm, I'm a story-based teacher. So I bring some of those stories and I can't tell you how many times there's a moment in class where I'm like, why does that look familiar? I'm like, oh my gosh, I did the same thing right. in, back in high school. And right away that complete, it like defangs your energy. You're like, okay, I can speak to this. Right. I don't have to speak about it. I can actually speak to it. I've had similar experiences as a parent. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 absolutely right, yeah. You gotta blame yourself when you're looking right. at your kids yeah. to a degree. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned mentorship and great teachers. So, what would be some shout-outs then? So, who, who, who could you sort of put into that mix that, I, I don't believe teachers have to be the formal ones that we meet in the classroom. For myself, one of the most amazing teachers that I've ever had uh, is Maria, and she was the aunt of the chef that I did my apprenticeship with, mm-hmm. but I learned everything from Maria. Mm-hmm. Maybe four foot ten. Maybe, God, at the time I would have said she was probably like 80, but I still believe she's 80 to this day. Right. But such a force, so intense, so passionate, so connected with the heritage of the curriculum she was teaching me. Mm-hmm. That she'll forever be in my head as one of the best teachers um, for me right. when I was doing my chef's apprenticeship. So do you mean mentor teachers when I was in school personally or, or teachers like colleagues the list is big eh? it, it's it's really big and so it's funny because on the website for YFR which I guess we'll talk about yeah I have a gratitude page and the list of people on that page keeps growing and growing and growing yeah because as teachers 
really, truly and honestly, the best resource we have is each other. And I am so inspired by the work that so many teachers are doing mm -hmm. and just the spirit of collaboration that really seems to be growing exponentially in our board. So in terms of like teacher shout outs, um, I would have to say that for this particular path in general with mm -hmm. this YFR project, it really began with yourself and with a phenomenal history head at Stephen Lewis Secondary School named Julie Bolton. And you guys sort of planted those seeds to show me that we can really start to embrace creativity and challenge what we see as being what's important in our classrooms and in the curriculum that we're teaching and to really just embrace the spirit of trying something new. And um, another mentor sort of that helps really ground all of this would be Deb Grant, who was also an alt ed head in our board, now retired, but her and Mary Lawless really helped me very early in my career understand the importance of putting the students first. And so the curriculum, of course, is absolutely important, but first and foremost is meeting the needs of the students in front of you. And um, two other people that really helped sort of round all of this out would be Sanji, who is the English curriculum consultant for our board, and uh, Pam Agua. And those two individuals really helped me figure out how to do what I wanted to do these big ideas that I had um, on the ground level, like in the classroom, and have it all meet what it is that I needed to do to service the students that were in front of me. The, um, you, you make me, it sort of brings to mind that idea of mentors. So when I did my apprenticeship, I had no choice. I sort of was put, <laughs> my chef's name was John, Johnny. And he's like, you're working with my aunt. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. And you just kind of, you kind of go there and you don't know you don't, I don't think he really had any clue about what I needed as a, as a young cook, but that was just the process. You're going to work with Maria. And that was the, it was sort of like an on-ramp to this restaurant. It ended up being the longer term relationship. It was interesting. So I'm signed up to him, but I'm doing all my learning through her. And when I wrote my papers, it was sort of, I was fortunate that he had his chef papers, which meant I can write my test and get my papers, but all of my learning that supported not the test, but the next steps that I couldn't see yet were because of Maria. Right. So, you know, the mentors that you're sometimes forced to work with are, are also as important as some of the incidentals that kind of pop along the way. Mm -hmm. um, from, whether from that list or just maybe a, a different category altogether, mm -hmm. um, what about accidental mentors? Some, some that you just like, I didn't even know that I needed you or needed that until you kind of brought me, we talked on the on-ramp about those moments where you're, you don't have gravity, right? Right, And you're reaching out with the best stuff and someone just kind of goes, I gotcha. Here, right. come over here for a sec. Right. What about that? So, um, accidental mentors. The, uh, the first one that pops into my head is the parent of a former student. Okay. And a couple of years ago, I had this student in my English classroom, grade nine, academic English, and we were teaching a mythology unit that all of the teachers were, were expected to teach in their mm -hmm. course. And um, one of my students I didn't realize was indigenous. 
And his, so the assignment for this mythology unit, the summative assignment, was that students had to research a cultural myth and then share it with the rest of the class. And I mean, there was more to it than that, but mm -hmm. that's basically mm -hmm. the, the gist of it. And so I had this phenomenal parent named Darren Douglas who sent me this very lovely email and basically said, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. Um, I like that you are attempting to be inclusive, right? And I like that this unit will expose students to a variety of different cultural beliefs. But I need you to realize that my son is likely going to tell the story of Sky Woman. And this is a story that is incredibly important to my people. And that when he is presenting the story, when you're talking about the story, you do not refer to it as a myth. And wow. that sort of really set a light bulb um, off in my head. And I reached out to this parent, and we've since become very good friends. And that is the moment where I really started to understand where we're trying to get in our board right now in terms of equity and inclusivity because that was the moment when I really began to unpack a lot of the colonial beliefs that we hold, right? And, and how that transfers into our classroom and how that results in what books are available in our book room and then means which books are available for me to teach in my classroom. So he was sort of one of those accidental mentors that has become incredibly important and will forever be incredibly important. And then um, the next step, once I have this like aha moment with this, with this parent, right? And I mean, this is an incredibly important stakeholder that I've received this phenomenal feedback from that's really essentially responsible for changing the entire trajectory of my career and what I perceive my role to be in the classroom. So I've got that, and then the next piece is I need support <laughs> at my school to now make these changes, inspired by this feedback that I've received and this newfound knowledge that I, I've got to dig deeper and that I've got to unpack a lot of things. And that ended up being my admin. And honest to goodness, if you wanted to put together a dream team, my admin was it, and they're going to be broken up next September because one of them is moving on to another school. Mm -hmm. But um, Michelle Kane, my principal, Corey MacArthur, my vice principal, and Deanna Heron, the other vice principal, were incredibly important. And I came down to them and I was like, listen, here's this feedback that I've got. I'm reflecting on my practice and I need to make changes and I need your support to make those changes. I need to take some risks. I don't know what's going to work. I don't know what's not going to work. But I would like to know that you've got my back and that you're okay with me trying something new. And not only were they entirely supportive of that, but on the last day of school before summer, a couple of years ago, Corey MacArthur looked at me and the very last words he said to me were, have a great summer, plan creatively. And to this day, I just think, imagine how phenomenal it would be if that was the advice that every administrator gave to every teacher, right? Because that, for me anyway, was so powerful. Was there in that, did you feel that there was an element of permission being given that not, not necessarily, let's say, from a, a system leader, but it was sort of like, it was a moment of reminder that you need to give yourself permission. What, what was that sort of like, because those are just words. It can be just words. So how is it that that moment of saying that, you know, plan creatively or any of these other individuals that kind of like, they grabbed on, they said, let's go through. Um, how did you get over your own, I guess sometimes I'll call it, let's say nervousness or fear of change because you, the, the reality then is when you're away from these mentors, 
it's you. Right. So how did you process through that moment of, okay, I recognize that I'm craving something here. So-and-so has said, go for it. Now what? That that sort of like permission slip, yeah. for lack of a better word, um, was fundamental. And I think that as teachers, there's there's safety in, in sameness, right? Mm. So especially as, you know, a newer person coming into the profession or maybe as a newer teacher coming into a certain department, you walk in and there's sort of a set way of doing things, mm-hmm. the, the way that things have always been done. And, you know, they work, right? Those, those things are good. But... I think that for me, there's an element of creativity that I bring to my practice. There's my background experience with Alted and really trying to understand student success, my work with the re-engagement team with the board, that makes me sort of look at things through a different lens and, and want to try something different. And I think that sometimes when you want to try something different, the perception is that what you're saying then is that what's being done isn't good. Mm. And that's not the case at all, right? What every teacher does in their classroom is so personal, right? And I can't replicate what you're doing in your classroom and you can't replicate what I'm doing in mine, even if we were teaching the exact same thing. And um, so having that permission slip, that license to take some risks was necessary because that's exactly what you're doing when you decide that you're you're going to sort of divert a little bit from the the status quo and uh, was was very important was it um was it then easy no because <laughs> <laughs> that's because you know because I'll say every once in a while I like every once in a while I like to have these moments during you know it's it's a, it's a nice day we're in comfortable seats we're sort of talking it's 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 lived experience but it takes on a little it can be a little bit of a bubble right so you know you have everything wheels on the ground now the permission to go you're activated so your next step can you remember what the actual you know or that what was in that next step mode because someone listening is like i'm there i'm so there i have all these things right and then do i reach out to somebody else do i start putting down to paper so you know what was your thing to start mapping out this future version of what you were you know hoping to create so in my mind I, I had a sense of what I wanted to do like I, I didn't know all the details but the big picture for me was was a collaboration an opportunity for for a partnership and uh, just based on where I was in my own professional and personal growth that led me to reaching out on a Facebook group for Ontario teachers to any teacher teaching English uh, on a First Nations Reserve in Ontario. Uh And I had this crazy, wonderful woman named Lana Kim who was awesome and insane enough to respond to my post. And her message to me was, hey, like I teach on a reserve, you know, what do you you wanna do? What are you thinking? And my response to her was, I don't know. (laughs) I just know that I have this sort of big picture idea for a collaboration and I'm curious to know if you'd be willing to do it. And her response was, okay. And then so began the first summer of planning what would eventually become YFR. So then that's what I was going to go to next. So um, if you could just walk in through this step by step, because this becomes, um, in, in planning for change, uh, one of the things I've observed is that there's an element of uh, ambiguity comfort mm-hmm. that you have to have. You get in this space, again, I've mentioned words like without gravity and sort of untethered. Sometimes it feels a little more negative sounding than it should but there's a moment where not necessarily 
knowing what the next step is, is the exact moment you need to have because that's opportunity for change. So you connect with Alana, you're now connected on Facebook, you've now been given permission, you're starting to think creatively and you're gonna to start to draw together old stuff, new stuff, weird stuff in between, mm -hmm. right? And you get that all just sort of like the tabletop. As you approach September, mm -hmm. was this idea gelling yet? Yes, but then came all of the other really important stuff. <laughs> like, how are we grounding this in the curriculum expectations, okay. right? And, and so began, for me professionally, an incredibly valuable learning experience where I really started to embrace this idea that it's important that we teach skills, not content, okay. right? Um, so there was that, and so fortunately that resulted in me being able to reach out with Sanji, who's our English curriculum consultant, who was phenomenal from the start and was, was so willing and able to support this project and this collaboration. Um, and then became like the technical aspect. So how are we actually going to connect? Mm -hmm. So that's when I harassed you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was basically looking for the best tool to use because the truth is that, you know, a couple of years ago, I was not technologically savvy at all. I didn't have Twitter. Um, you know, that's also thanks to you. <laughs> I was not really active on social media, and I didn't know the first thing about connecting digitally with other classrooms, how we would do that. So, you know, reaching out to you, reaching out to Joanna Bull, our DLRT, was phenomenal, and, and it's through you guys that I was able to connect with other people who were able to help support and give us the tools that we needed to make the project work. I like... I like... Um... I like big parts of what you're saying here because that idea of comfort zones with tech in the classroom, I don't know if the discussion starts with what sort of relationship do I want to build. Right. I think we get caught, my personal opinion, we're still caught up in digital citizenship as a, a list of do nots and something concrete like that is, is pretty easy to follow. But with those types of street signs, the inquiry and the creativity sometimes, like there's a cost right. when you're constantly, you can't do a certain thing. I'm not disputing it. There, there are definitely safety measures that need to be included in that discussion. Right. But I just haven't been in a really good discussion that then extends it into what sort of relationships. What's, what's the digital world that I want to help contribute and make? Mm -hmm. So I think you sort of dropping that cold call onto Facebook is, is the thing that people do when they're in need now. It's back in the day would have been a, a bulletin board. Right. You know, I, I can remember how I can be you know, they don't even have them anymore anymore. But do you remember going into grocery stores and there'd be the bulletin board, the right. community bulletin board, and right. people just put up their own little index cards. I need someone to mow my lawn. Right. Um, looking for a babysitter. Uh, I sell cake. <laughs> like these things. Right. But also the um, looking to start a reading club. Um, have you been abused? Like there was so much there that wasn't just packaged. Right. It was actually people taking the time to create that community. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward in, 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 into next versions of projects like yours, but also the discussions that they start beside it about intentional relationship building. Right. And recognizing that the digital, digital citizenship, the reciprocity of that, mm -hmm. how, how do those two things work together? And we don't just have to talk about cybersecurity. We can talk about spirituality, culture, love, engagement in the same in the same uh, classroom discussion. 
so the 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 actual the the, the YFR so Youth for Reconciliation yeah. website Instagram presence mm -hmm. classroom presence dual classroom presence mm -hmm. board presence triple classroom triple, presence triple what's the what's the third one uh, so we partnered with Bill Hogar Secondary School okay yeah so that now being a thing. I don't even know how to tease it apart. Right. I have to be honest. There's so many different elements. Um, here's what I will... Let's start with the digital element of it. So one of the fascinating things that I noticed is that you have uh, a non-board website to hang the information on mm -hmm. and that you also were using an Insta account, an Instagram account. Right. And um, Instagram is not accessible inside our domain. Right. Um, it's considered to be that red that red tool. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about using using sort of let's say the non-board tools though the board knew right the board knows right tell me a little bit about that process what what how'd you land on that because we are a, we're a gaps board right there's similar tools there but there's walls too right so when the project began in the first semester we were using uh, Flipgrid okay right which was a phenomenal tool and provided a really cool opportunity for collaboration between the classes that we were collaborating then. But at the end of that semester, when we had an opportunity to reflect on the project a little bit, we felt like there was something more that we wanted to explore. And at the same time, Deanna Heron, one of my vice principals, sends to me a copy of Jennifer Casa Todd's book called Social Media. Yep. And so I'm reading this book and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is super cool. And um, it is a book that basically talks about the importance of teaching social media use for our mm. students, right? And it's fascinating because we live in an age where social media really permeates almost every aspect of our lives, right? It's, 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 it's an incredible professional tool. It's an incredible business tool. And yet it's something that as teachers in the educational system, we have typically been a little bit afraid of. Or when we've you know been working around social media, it's been to talk about all the dark bad things that exist with it, right? But um, Jennifer Casa Todd's book really sort of inspired this idea that we should be using it, mm -hmm. um, that it's an incredible tool, and that it provides really interesting opportunities. And so we just landed on using Instagram as the account because that's what the students sort of felt would be the best tool to use um, and like you said it's a red tool it's it's, it's blocked on our board Wi-Fi but um, my administrative team was was awesome I, I talked to them about why I wanted to use it what the goal was going to be we created the permission forms that would need to go home and I think you know from the get-go what's really important is just to be really transparent yep. right so parents understood what the project was they were invited to participate in the project I had parents participating when we were using Flipgrid so those uh, it carried over well it's cool because I think um to allow and Jay Kazatod may acknowledge this as well is that when when the system decides the tools that are going to inspire the kids right. sometimes misses the mark right. potential I'll put it this way maybe potentially has higher potential to miss the mark right. um, I've been in a couple really interesting conversations about the use of digital tools where where it's there's 
maybe we're in the transition here. There's no longer the assumption that something can't be an ed tech tool. Mm-hmm. Um, even more interesting is that when I was in that one, have you heard of uh, Audrey Waters? No. Really cool. Someone really cool to follow, but um, deep in in her sort of educational, uh, I don't know, not criticism, but like constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. And in the discussion about ed tech, she also included, well, photocopiers are ed tech too. Right. And I thought to myself, well, I've never been in a discussion about photocopiers you know, photocopiers and assessment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But really, when we look at the tools that are constantly around us, um, is there? there's a book called The Third Teacher. Phenomenal book. And it talks about, you know, the, 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 the people in the room, the actual curriculum, and the room itself as being all integrated into the conversation. I think social media is somehow part of each one of those three spaces, right? It allows that whatever's happening in the room to connect with someone else's room with someone else's room. Right. So I'm fascinated by the discussion around whether or not social media is now a layer mm-hmm. or it's actually um, a, a starting point. It's no longer something that's just put on top of a classroom. Because um, I would argue that if we're putting the things just on top of the classroom that we as teachers assume the kids are connect- going to connect with, Right. Maybe. Right. Maybe not. Right. And you get into that interesting comfort space too, like, oh great, now I gotta learn another tool mm-hmm. to sort of help the students out. Right. The um the as I observed some of the postings that you had over the course of the year, I started to wonder about like I asked you about when you kinda noticed your teacher side. Mm-hmm. What at what point with this project with this project um did it did it have a uh, enough of enough stuff happening into it that it became fragile? And I only mean that as sometimes on the on ramp in the planning, we feel fragile in that sort of creative. Oh, will it work? Who do I have to connect with? But I think the true, for myself, one of the true moments of fragility in something as becomes once it's in motion. Right. And you're now you're in that sort of keeping keeping all the, the pieces, all the plates in the air. Mm-hmm. At what point did you observe or think to yourself, wow, now the work really has to begin? Because with the Flipgrid, just because mm-hmm. you mentioned that quickly, mm-hmm. it, was a, it, was a, it was connection over around a book. Right. So once it was no longer necessarily about the book or the lesson, mm-hmm. what was the next life that kind of came out of it? Like what took it through to the rest of the semester? So, well, and that's exactly why why FR turned into what it was because it didn't take in, or it didn't turn into anything beyond a really cool way to do a novel study when we were using Flipgrid, and you know through that connection, the students learned so much about each other. But then it was done, mm-hmm. and so at the end, we really reflected on the fact that. It didn't feel like the students had any agency mm. beyond that initial connection, you know, sharing some really cool insights about the text we were reading, but then there was no, like, so what, right? And so as I really started to explore, you know, the six C's, for example, and, and this idea of, of global citizenship and, and that sort of thing, um, it became apparent that moving into semester two, the project had to be bigger. And I, when I say bigger, I mean that it, it had to be an opportunity where the students had that sense of agency that was missing from semester one, and that we wanted to do it in such a way that it was made public. Because 
Flipgrid wasn't public. Mm-hmm. And by putting it on Instagram, it makes everything that the students are doing very accessible to anybody, right? And so we had parents that were part of our journey together, complete strangers, lots of people inside and outside our school within our board. And so when you talk about this idea of fragility, I think maybe the fragility came from the fact that because it was such a public forum and in such a public space, there's a really heightened sense of vulnerability, right, on the part of the students that are involved in the project. And so we had to, you know, find ways to move around that. And then also on the part of the teachers that were involved. And for myself and Lana, being the lead teachers that created this, it was sort of a difficult space to exist in because you have a lot of eyes on you, right? And you have a lot of opinions and a lot of feedback. And uh, from some people, that's not always positive. And from others, it was phenomenal. And so it was sort of navigating all of those differing ideas about the value of what we were doing, the success of what we were doing, or the perceived success of what we were doing, um, and just trying to sort of work our way around that. So, so you kind of touched lightly on, as this broadened out to the community, mm-hmm. so I think there's, a, there's an interesting transition point in lesson planning in general, as in if you're planning just for the, the, the people in the room, right. that's a... That's a, that's a teaching 101 kind of a tool, right? You think about working to who's sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think back in the day, it was less about teaching to the other that's not in front of you, but we're in a different space now. Right. Maybe social media has brought us there, but global competencies has started that discussion about whatever we're doing with you know the 30 kids and ourselves. Mm-hmm. N- n- you need to consider what's happening in the broader context, and are we communicating? Are we sharing? Right. Are we connecting and are we building? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that I, I love that idea of as you build capacity for your classroom and thinking a little bit bigger than classroom, hallway, mm-hmm. school, community, global community. When it started to get bigger than the class, mm-hmm. and you kind of started bigger than the class, let's bear in mind the lesson started bigger than your classroom. Okay. But at what point, when you started, you started to expand out, you you started to realize, okay, I need to bring some, I, I again, I, I need to bring somebody else on board here to help make some of those connections or to grease the wheels. Was there anyone that came in at that point that maybe was just it was a bit of a, it was a key in a lock at that point? So when YFR turned into YFR in, in semester two, I was really fortunate because three integral people came on board within my school. So two of those people were other teachers in my English department, uh, Jesse keys Renault and Joyce and uh, Lanetta. And so essentially what ended up happening was that every section of 11U English at our school in semester two, so that was 180 students approximately in total, were now involved in this project. And then our head of art, Georgia Roselle, came on board and it was how can we turn this cross-curricular. And then Mike Byam, who is one of the tech teachers at our school, who then sort of got involved also and had his comp tech students work with us. And they ended up being the ones that created the phenomenal video to sort of showcase or highlight what YFR did. Uh, So it was through their collaboration that YFR really turned into what it was. And then, of course, consistently and ongoing, the board's FNMI team. So like Pam and Andrew McConnell um, and Jody Johnson, who helped to keep everything grounded because this second semester project 
though bigger, at its core, still worked with a text, and it was written by an indigenous author, so it was navigating all the things that came with that. And then Bob Goosey at Bill Hogarth Secondary School, mm. who's uh, the head of English there, and ended up providing incredible mentorship and support, just in sort of seeing the bigger picture and, and helping to stay the course with the project. The, you had mentioned, um, well, we had mentioned three different classrooms. One of the classrooms is not in our school. Right. So before we get into sort of any like that, technicality, let's say, of the actual, um, the lesson that led you there or the idea that led you there, I, I, I've started to think a lot about how um, someone passed a quote, it was one of the Twitter post-its, an affirmation, mm -hmm. but it talks about childhood as a, as a series of revealed secrets. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been able to really get that out of my head and the kind of the power of that because I, I take it from a very positive standpoint as in as you have these experiences you have this simultaneous kind of response of I'm interested in this I'm, I'm fascinated by this it's it makes me a little bit afraid but I'm also really proud of myself and I'm I'm and, and, and I realize something is kind of like bringing it to me. There's an other that's allowing me to sort of notice this. I'm making it overly complicated, but the saying in itself is the revealed secrets. I, it makes me think about your experience and your students' experience and the other classroom students' experience as far as when you look at it now, do you have a, a sense of the secrets that you're welcomed into seeing? Like what you were sort of invited to notice in these other classrooms that you know when we talk about doing these you know Skype visits or the the mystery hangouts and it's and it's you know you ask three or four or five questions and try and guess where that classroom is it strikes me like your project there was a, a, a deeper richness to it because it wasn't just about tourism it was about becoming and connection and immersion right. so can you does anything pop up as like you're like wow like this is really cool that I've been invited into this space so I think that what was so unique about our particular partnership was that it didn't feel just like we were connecting with another classroom but it really felt like we were connecting with another community mm -hmm. and I think that was probably amplified by the fact that this was a First Nations reserve and so you know, Youth for Reconciliation, the name is, is literally in the title, this idea that we're at a point in Canada's history where we're really starting to hopefully come to terms with the past, right? And to recognize it and to own it and then to try to move forward in a good way. And so connecting with Pekanjikum, like I said, wasn't just like it wasn't just connecting with another classroom, it was connecting with another community and being able to see different perspectives, different rich perspectives of people who were 1,400 kilometers away from us that felt really, really far away from us, but were still within the same province. And to get glimpses into some of the social issues that affect them or impact them. And to learn about those things in a way that felt very personal because you can read about the water issues on First Nations reserves in the newspaper, but when you get to speak to the people directly, when you get to hear from them how that impacts them, that makes it much more meaningful. 
And then on the flip side of that, a lot of what we see in the media with regards to First Nations peoples tends to be pretty negative, right? And it, it only focuses on the social issues. But collaborating with Pakanjikum gave us an opportunity to really see the many wonderful things, right? So one of the exercises that we did at the beginning of this, this project was we had each of our classrooms Google one another's communities and to see what sorts of stories were available, what sorts of information were available. And the very first hit that we got when we were Googling Pakanjikum from Markham was Pakanjikum, Canada's suicide capital, or the suicide capital of the world. And then when you sort of juxtapose that with the incredible stories of these individuals living there and the beauty that they see within their community, that's when you really get to see the realness, right? The authentic point of view that you wouldn't have been able to receive otherwise. That really is mind-blowing. I've done, I've, I've done a similar task, but with reduced, 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 just by clocking into Google somewhere in Europe somewhere in Asia right. and change the extension and you do the same search and you see how differently how differently um, it was all about product placement how it's perceived and you sort of do the deconstruction as far as the visual tools you know same product but described from two different um, countries perspective right. so I can I this is a product that I've done right how did what was the reaction from the students this is not us, this is, like, that whole, because it really does, it, my gosh, it creates a real, like, a, a sudden react, reaction, I would imagine, that what we're being told is not the truth. Right. Well, and what an incredible learning opportunity for students, right? Yeah. And to see firsthand how the media can manipulate the way that we view things, or maybe manipulate's too strong of a word, but how they maybe can... It's all about perception, right? And that the media can has such power to shine a light on different issues or different locations in a certain light. And so what made the use of Instagram so phenomenal was that the students really had this sense of empowerment, that the students in both communities had an opportunity to share who they were, who their communities are, the way they want it to be seen, in the way that they felt was the most authentic, and to do so in a public forum so that everyone could see that. It's, it's cool, it makes me think, because one, one of the original, one of the original, um, so Twitter, one of the original kind of frames that, that, that popularized it was the ability for someone to microblog from a space that might have been impenetrable before. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, pending data, you know, and Wi-Fi and, and domain issues, because there's some places that Twitter would have never made it out of because the actual country is a domain. But that was one of the, one of the sort of, um, I don't know, I guess I want to say selling points, but not, I'm using the wrong term, but that idea that you could actually connect directly to a source mm -hmm. as opposed to waiting for the popularized story to make it out. And there's still, to this day, there's a lot of, if, if you can get connected with individuals on the ground with the experience, you're going to get the mainline feed. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot of, was it three years ago? Three years ago? Three years ago when we had the ice storm mm -hmm. over Christmas time. Mm -hmm. 
was it three or four years ago? Roughly, yeah. It was it was a pretty intense four, one. Four, four-ish, I think. I know, we're going back a little ways. Yeah. And that was when I first started using Twitter. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I used it for, the power was out at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And my parents, my mom was a caregiver for my father who was ailing, and her own mother who was ailing as well in the same house. Mm-hmm. And through using Twitter, neither one of them were, were using Twitter, mm-hmm. um, their phone wasn't working as well but through Twitter I was able to get to the base of their street okay. to find out whether or not the lights were on what the power was happening what the weather conditions were and I tell you like that was really valuable to me to be able to get the true story there because there was a whole lot of spin that was coming through the media right. so I can I can appreciate I can appreciate um, the necessity to use tools mm-hmm. within education that education still hasn't fully embraced yet. Right. I think it, it creates a, a necessary discussion with education around authenticity, um, about connectivity and relationships, because a, there is a lot of what we do that protects the 30 kids in front of us in that classroom. And I think the, I think the, the reciprocal of that is that it also silos us. Right. We don't have as many conversations, well, we're having conversations, but it definitely wasn't a part of my training at faculty about this idea of the 30 kids in front of you are only part of your classroom. Right. So I love that idea of using Insta because it right away questions, are we using the right tools? Right. Maybe it doesn't even question it. It just kind of goes, you know, spits in the eye and says, we're going to use this other tool. Right. And you did. And it, and it I, I would argue it was the right tool to use for this context absolutely for sure and I think that the other piece too is that I know for myself from from the from the beginning you know looking at what sort of digital tools I could use what would be best uh, there was a sense of you know anxiety that came along with that because I, I, I didn't consider myself technologically savvy at all and one of the best learning experiences from this has been that as teachers, I think it's so important to learn along with our students, and our mm-hmm. teachers, our, our students, are, make phenomenal teachers, right? So, they largely are the ones that help me navigate these new tools that we were learning together. And I think that it's also a really enriching experience for students to see you learning along with them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If um, if you're to go back, go back to your, you know, your first year of teaching. There's, I'm going to guess there's things that you do now that were radically different. Maybe there's things that are radically the same. You're sort of holding on to it. Um, from you coming out of faculty, you coming out of faculty, what might be surprising about what you're doing with your teaching right now? So that little bit of the then looking forward to now, the stark difference. Because we had talked a little bit in, in the on-ramp about how the work that we're doing, the work that you're doing, and how that should be kind of communicated to faculty. So they kind of get a, a flavor of what's, what classrooms are, are like at ground level. Right. But if you even take it back to you coming out of faculty, did you have a sense of this type of purpose in your teaching? No. And I think that coming out of faculty, the sense that I got was that I am the holder of knowledge, right? Mm. And that there were certain texts that were just assumed to have value and that were of course going to be taught in the classes that we were teaching and you know looking at that where I was coming out of faculty to now I think the the biggest difference has been 
just understanding my role, right? Or, or sort of reframing what my role is. That for sure, I've got a, I, I hope I have a lot of knowledge that I can share with my students. And I do that, but that our, our roles changed a little bit, that the way that we deliver has changed a little bit, that our students have a lot to offer and that it's through more enriching experiences, I think, that we can get the most authentic and valuable learning. I, I, I think back to, it was maybe about five, six years ago, the school that I was at started um, offering, and the course might have changed names, but it was the, the Native Studies course. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the board was enforcing it. So the board was saying, as far as my understanding, could be a flawed memory, but my understanding of it is that it was gonna it was gonna be offered no matter what. Right. And there was certain there was funding behind it, there was a push to sort of have that included. There was a an understanding that this was a forward looking direction that was going to it was going to start the conversation at the school level. And I can remember there was a real, there was some pushback at the time, as in, because there were other people, and I, I'm tagging off of you, I, I have knowledge, and I like how you said it, I have knowledge to share, and in my mind, I was going to push through and say, but I don't own it. Mm -hmm. It's not my knowledge, I right. have knowledge to share. And I can remember at the time thinking to myself, if they, this feels like they're forcing it through, and to some degree the number of students that participated kind of supported that. Like it, there wasn't a lot of students that took the course. Mm -hmm. Yet, the, f the, the, the base understandings that were a part of this discussion were so necessary. Like it was a seed moment. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if it was planted well at the time. Right. So it starts, to, I start to think about this kind of like curriculum. I want to say verses, but it's not. Let's say curriculum and experience mm -hmm. and how the, the moments in class that escape the curriculum, they're really difficult to bring back to curriculum. For me, from my experience, they're difficult to bring back to curriculum because part of what I love to see is the engagement and connection. And I think back to teaching hospitality and when the students were in the flow, and I would walk up beside them and I would say, I would actually start to micro-teach a lesson and right away I could just feel like just it's not the joy, but it's that it's that ethereal energy that the kids were just immersed in activity and they didn't need you. Right. But I'm going to stop. Right. So what I started to do is when I walked around, I would just put post-it notes. That's cool. It was, until I realized that the post-it notes stopped it too. Oh, right. So what I would do instead is I would, on my own plan, mm -hmm. on the I would, just, I would have it mapped out on my desk, I would put the post-it notes. Mm -hmm. So I'd still walk around and I'd data capture. I'd put the post-it notes on the mapped out of the kitchen. And then when there was lulls in the activity... If you'd like to see some of my thoughts that I had as I walked around and I tasted your food or I sort of just moved something over because it was going to fall in the sink, you're welcome to go see the post-it notes. And then I would take a snap of that and post it to the classroom website. Right. So there are no names, but each kid, according to the lab, would know where they were. Mm -hmm. So finding that balance of allowing the students to move through the experience mm -hmm. and not come down with the framework strikes me as the 2.0 of learning goals and success criteria where you completely move back entirely and for some instructors I imagine there's some courses where you got to be a little bit more hands-on obviously if a kid was about to take a knife and peel an apple by poking the you know I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. and I would draw attention to that I'm gonna break flow mm -hmm. because you're gonna lose a finger right but I became more discriminatory in those moments mm -hmm. and 
the this experience that you created for the kids in your school and the kids in the other school as it sort of echoed out and the students in the other other school 1400 kilometers away from you I would I would struggle I would struggle with the, that sort of like the value of the experience weighed against making curricular connections so I think this is where being an English teacher though is like extra special okay um, because that wasn't at all a conflict for me and what what I think is so special about the English curriculum is that you could do almost anything mm-hmm. and it can relate back to it like it's, it's so broad and it's so rich that connecting those experiences with curriculum from an English curriculum standpoint was super easy the conflict for me really arose between this conflict that seems to now exist between skills and content and I think that especially within English as a department or as, as a subject area, I should say, that there's this perceived idea that there, there are some texts and some authors that must be taught, that the content is so important and that we maybe are sacrificing the development of skills in order to do that. And so the tying in the skills with the experience with the curriculum like that all just so went well together and it's interesting that you talk about that native studies course because you know there's value obviously in, in, in those courses right but one of the criticisms that I received about this project was that uh, essentially this project began as a novel study it was sort of a modernized take on a novel study and the thing that connected the two communities together was our reading of Indian Horse written by Richard Wagamese and one of the criticisms that I received from a teacher was you know what Alicia if you want to teach an indigenous text shouldn't you maybe just teach an indigenous course and that's where this conflict between skills and content comes in because you know within the English curriculum you could choose any text to teach those skills right it doesn't have to be the catcher in the rye it doesn't have to be Romeo and Juliet, it could be literally anything. And the idea that we should have separate courses or that it's only in separate courses that we can teach these diverse texts to me is really concerning. And so, I mean, that, that, that it's sort of a slippery slope, right? If that's, if that's the attitude, then should we have now a separate course for LGBTQ plus authors? Do we have a separate course for African Canadian authors? Right? Like it's very twisted. And um, so that's where the conflict really arose for me. And that's where differing opinions really started to bubble up. uh, And where there was questioning about what was being used as the, the core for the project. It's again, kind of comes back to that um, ambiguity comfort. And, and what is what is yours versus this no yours and the students and the school and the system and you know the community that's around there the um, the conversation I was in around this is that in some ways I think that our our steps towards our modern learning framework having math mental health modern learning um, having our understanding of these pillars, and now equity. <laughs> and now equity in there as well. Um, the that the the grind to understand what those pillars mean for our board was just the beginning. 
what does it now mean for the board if we are actively overlaying those pillars together? So paying attention to equity in mathematics, looking at um, mental wellness at the same time that we're using our digital stuff. And it strikes me that's the new, that's the new place, the synthesis, that's the new place to exist in. We touched quickly talking about modern learning and including um, culture and spirituality in a public school system. Like that's a real 2.0 way to think about our classrooms because it, it really does decenter what we assume a classroom should be. And for some individuals that can be kind of uncomfortable, but I think it's in that discomfort that cool conversations like this come out. And you know, when you say, do we have texts that are so specific in the pursuit of revealing truth? That just could be moving into another silo, right? Right. So um, I, I wouldn't make it an argument, but it's definitely there's, there's I would I would, I wouldn't go looking for a fight on that one, but I think I would find myself in one, right? Because I I think that in some ways, in some ways the the overlap of courses is what makes the experience of school sticky. Mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter someone posting, "What do you want your students to remember?" five years from now and I kind of put back I said I I like I've seen this question pop up a lot in PD sessions Mm -hmm. but I would rather just be neutral in that and not necessarily have them to be able to name me right right I don't I don't I don't want because that's what some of the and I only said that because a lot of the posts were sort of talking about talking about the forgetting of what happens in the now Mm -hmm. I said what I would rather have is that right now they know my name they know their fellow student's name. They know their community's name. Right now they're connecting. Yeah. Right now they're sharing and activating. To have an assumption that five years from now that I should have a tether on that. And I get it. We're helping kids with their pathways all the time. But I can't go to the ego to assume that they will remember anything. I just I want them to be able to go and do. Right. And I think that's an interesting space in education right now that we're actually doing so much in the now. And what's in the now is kind of messy mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah, in a nice way, in, 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 in a cool way, It's the right? nice mess. <laughs> yeah. What does it say? What did? What was the, um, the, the getting into the good trouble? Right. I think that's been posted more about our American, co- you know, colleagues getting in, in protests and like that. But that's what it is, getting in the good trouble. Right. Um, we're kind of at the tail end, but I still, I got to... I gotta ask you one more if you got time, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. So I wanna talk about the next. I wanna move into, you know, we're in the summer break. Thanks again for hanging with me. Um, so moving into the next. This, the YFR as a, as a, as a, as a semester long experience is now, you had mentioned before, potentially it's sort of in other people's hands to a degree. You now have this lived experience of moving through a project that shifted between classroom and experience and other classrooms and other people's experiences. Um, Moving into September, what is it that you're building? Moving into September, what are you taking with? What are you leaving behind? What is it that you're not sure of? moving into September. So as we move into September, the plan is that YFR continues and that it continues to grow. We have a couple of new partnerships that are being built that will begin in September. And so that just means more opportunities for collaboration. And, um, you know, in terms of like, what, what am I unsure about? The, uh, 
I think the really special thing about this type of project is that it's very organic, mm-hmm. right? And it and it kind of grows based on who's involved and based on the interests of the students. So I, 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 I couldn't even begin to tell you what it will look like by the time maybe we have the same conversation next summer mm-hmm. after a year. Um, because it really will depend on just what unfolds, basically. But the plan is that it will continue, that the learning will continue, that the opportunities for collaboration will continue. There'll be even more people involved. And um, you'll, you'll have a chance to check it out on the Instagram page. We're going to continue with that also. That's cool. That's very cool. So to wrap it up is a question that I've, I've, I've asked. I've asked a few. I, just, I like the way the, the question kind of allows you to freestyle just a little bit, okay. if you will. Um, part of part of the initial I've let go of a lot of how my podcast was in the beginning like I've learned a lot about what I thought I was going to do and what I should and shouldn't do with the podcast Mm -hmm. but one of the things that was always kind of at the heart of Chasing Squirrels was the idea of pursuing change and how sometimes when we achieve it do you know the story? No. no. Do you want me to tell it to you just quick? Yeah, please. So um, back in the back in the day, my dog caught a squirrel off a tree. Okay. Literally grabbed it off the tree. <laughs> and, you know, when I've related that story to other people, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I totally, like, I've tried to sort of, like, like, if you approach a squirrel on a tree, you counter spiral each other. It always seems like they're just out of reach. Right. Somehow my dog pulled one off. And what was, inter- it wasn't interesting at the time. It was very stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> my dog didn't know what to do so the squirrel it was like nose boxing the squirrels on the ground making squirrel noises and my dog is sort of like bouncing her nose off it and nothing really happened apart from a lot of confusion okay and then the squirrel got away and kind of disappeared and all of a sudden was like a few branches up and then my dog's like what just happened and that was only a story it was just an experience from my life but when I started to think about how change happens to us how we activate in it like it, it started to feel like okay there's something to this analogy that you know no matter what we do sometimes we're surprised when we get it right when we actually have it in our hands it can be pretty confusing and then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> the moment's gone right so with within that idea of sort of chasing change or being challenged by change mm-hmm. um who are you in that frame are you a person that's sort of like can can really drive at change and you're like yeah I want to sort of create this next thing are you sort of like like are you the instigator and kind of like other people to do it are you sort of slow to get the change and then you're just gung-ho so what's your what's your sort of like someone said so you're cluffy asking me am I the squirrel or the dog right I don't know I was like I don't know are you the tree <laughs> what's that um oh wow how do you deal with change so so I embrace it. So okay. to keep with this, like, I guess, theme of squirrels, I have, <laughs> in all dead, um, one of my former colleagues used to talk about shiny squirrel syndrome. Oh, I love this. And I, I already I, like this. I have. <laughs> I have shiny squirrel syndrome. So I, I see something yeah. and I'm like, oh, that captures my attention immediately. Yeah. And then I kind of just want to run after it and see where it takes me. And um, so it's funny because I think that in our profession we've all heard the term drinking with Kool-Aid yeah right and there are a lot of negative connotations that come with that Mm -hmm. like oh yeah he's really drinking the Kool-Aid right like he's really bought into whatever and uh, I see the exact opposite I'm all about the Kool-Aid because there's there's so many different flavors of Kool-Aid and it all tastes (laughs) awesome (laughs) and um can I pause you do you remember Freshie no 
You don't remember Freshie? No. Freshie was sort of like the, the beta to the VHS. Okay. Like, you, you know, it, it never really went out. But yeah, Freshie... Did you just age yourself a little bit? I totally okay, did. <laughs> but Freshie's mascot was like, I think like a toucan or something. Okay. But it was funny. Like, I never got Kool-Aid. Okay. I think Freshie was maybe a little less expensive. Right. So <laughs> my mom only bought Tang and Freshie. Yeah, but that's a back in the day. Sorry, I totally jumped in. That's you made so me think funny. of like alternative drinks. I'm like, <laughs> I'm about the Freshie. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I really like the Kool-Aid. And I think that the different flavors of Kool-Aid all serve our students. And um, in terms of like, who am I with regards to change, I love it. Yeah. One of the best compliments that I ever received was from... A former principal of mine who's since retired. Her name is Beverly Madigan. And, uh, yeah, I know Bev. Yeah. One of the yeah, best compliments that she gave me was, you know, Alicia, you've never been afraid to do what you felt was, a, was in the best interest of your students. And so I look at the students that are in front of me in my classroom every day, and I have a, a diverse group of kids. And we talked about all of those experiences and, and um, unique backgrounds, right, mm -hmm. that each of those kids bring to our classroom every day. And I'm just forever in the search of how I can, oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? Like leverage that mm -hmm. with the skills that we need to teach and the curriculum that we need to cover. And so I just find that every new thing that rolls out, at least in my experience, and I'm only like eight-ish years in, so maybe I haven't been around for any crazy things yet, um, but all of the things that seem to roll out just seem to further support what we need to do in our classrooms and further support our kids. So I'm, I'm all for change. <laughs> I love it. I want that on a t-shirt. I get it stickers made. I'm all yeah. about the Kool-Aid. Yeah, all about the Kool-Aid. All about the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'd say I'm all about the freshie. <laughs> all right, Alicia, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Sincerely, Chris, thank you for, I, I sort of made reference to it, but a couple of years ago you did this phenomenal PD workshop for teachers and that's where sort of the seeds, like I mentioned, were planted a little bit. And so, like, you know, those workshops, this podcast, um, the support that you offer on Twitter, for example, I just, I, I appreciate that. And I'm sure that I'm not the only teacher that does. So thanks right. for what you do. Thanks. And I am going to check in a year from now. Okay. Because that's, good. you threw that down. I wasn't going to sort of book, and I don't book a year. I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not about to sort of put it into my phone right now. There's no way. Okay. But uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to sort of like play with the next story. Right. For sure. Fun. Cool. High five. Thanks, thanks talking. You too. Thanks for checking out this episode of Chasing Scrolls Podcast with Alicia Pasquale. The music in the episode comes to you by Creative Commons Licensing. The song on the front end, Ukrainian Rhythm, and the song on the tail end, Tizani, both are by the artist 4BSTR, 4CK3R. Neither of the songs have been changed in any way, or tweaked, or modified. Once again, thanks for checking out the podcast. Thank you.